This is an oral history interview with Ambassador Tom C. Korologos for the Robert J. Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas. We are in uh, the Ambassador's home in Washington, D.C. Uh, today's Wednesday, April 11, 2007, and I'm Brian Williams. Let me ask you, Mr. Ambassador, when you first met Bob Dole. Well, when you first called, I was trying to figure that out, and I think uh, the answer is when I worked in the White House, in the Nixon White House years in uh, 1971, when he was uh, uh, chairman of the RNC, he used to come to our leadership meetings. And uh, I knew of him before when I worked on the Hill for Senator Bennett, but really didn't have much to do with him. Uh, he was just another senator, and administrative assistants in those days didn't have much to do with uh, sitting senators. But uh, he used to come to our meetings, and I was impressed with... Uh, I remember he would sit in the cabinet meeting uh, or uh, in the leadership meetings with President Nixon, who would be talking about the crime bill, the energy bill, the foreign aid bill, and what have you. And uh, Dole would turn to us in the back and uh, go like this, uh, take notes, take notes, so I can talk about it. And uh, we'd give it to him, and uh, he was uh, a good, solid supporter and a good friend. And uh, over that... and. The other thing that happened, I guess, uh, between us, he was kind of a wiseacre, and I fashioned myself as a wiseacre. So we got along because we uh, wisecracked with each other, uh, and during the course of this, I'll tell you a couple of stories, but uh, uh, that's about how we, we came to meet. It was a growing, it wasn't a here's Dole, here's Corologus, it was a growing uh, relationship that nourished and flourished and uh, developed through the through the long years, mm -hmm. and you say at that time he was the uh, chairman of the uh, of the Republican National Committee. I think so, wasn't mm -hmm. he? <laughs> well, seventy one through seventy three. Yeah, yeah, right. he was chairman of the RNC. Right. That got to be a little sticky at the end, didn't it? Oh my, yes, he uh, was. Uh, well, he got in the middle of Watergate, and uh, that's when he said, uh, "See no evil, hear no evil, and evil," and uh, that shook us all up. But uh, uh, he stuck to the very long time stuck with the President Nixon. Uh, he didn't uh, abandon uh, it early. Uh, he kind of felt like the rest of us did that, uh, gosh, Nixon and Mitchell are uh, too smart to let this thing happen, and so we started believing it. And then tapes came out and accumulation and accumulation, and we all finally uh, said, oh my gosh, this is out of control. And uh, that's when I did the final vote count for President Nixon. Uh, before that last tape was released on the Friday, uh, the tape that uh, talked about the cover-up and the money stuff, we were sitting there with 40 votes in the Senate. We could have beat it. Uh, but then it fell apart, and uh, we were down to about six. And I can't tell you that Dole was one of them, because I, I, I counted about five or six, and everybody else had, had gone and uh, told President and told the White House... Uh, staffers, hey, we got a problem here, which is what President Nixon meant when he said, I've lost my political base uh, on that, uh, that night that he resigned. Did uh, Nixon ever talk to you about Senator Dole? Was there ever any sort of, was he a subject of conversation between you and the president? Not particularly, uh, except for uh, tell Dole to do this, tell Dole to do that. I remember one instance... Uh, I can't remember, he said, uh, go tell Dole about the three M's. Uh, McGovern, 
something and something. Moynihan and no, Moynihan was a friend. McGovern. Oh my, I, I I'm drawing a blank on the other two. So I ran up and told him, and he thought that was pretty good crack. And I don't know if he ever used it, but uh, another time I remember, <laughs> I had Senator Jim Allen, and I was the Senate liaison at the time. I should have said that at the beginning. Uh, at the White House, and uh, I had Senator Jim Allen, Democrat of Alabama, who was a big supporter of the president's. Uh, gosh, he, he was a good patriot. And I was down there with him. For some reason, Dole happened to be there. And uh, Nixon said, come here, come here, both of you. He called me and, Allen, uh, me and Dole over, and, uh, and Senator Allen was there, and he told Dole, I don't want anybody running against this guy in Alabama. You hear that? Pointing his finger at Dole. Sure, yes, sir. Okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> and I don't know whatever happened, but they might have had a token candidate run against Allen, and old Allen was thrilled to death, and he, he voted with us on everything, old Jim Allen, and Nixon was loyal to his friends, and uh, that, was, that was another <laughs> instance of Dole getting in the middle of something. Now, you, um, you were asked to become the senatorial liaison because of your experience with Senator Bennett, was correct. that correct? Yes, sir. And how, how did you um, begin your relationship with Nixon? What was that like? Uh, I went down to the White House as a, an assistant to a man named Gene Cowan, who was Hugh Scott's uh, former administrative assistant. And uh, they beefed up the staff a little bit. Uh, interestingly enough, I got there on April Fool's Day, 1971, April 1st. And what they wanted to do is uh, uh, Cowan and Scott were perceived as the, I figured this out later, it didn't, occurred to me for a long time, were perceived as the liberal wing, and we needed help with the conservatives. We were down to, I can't remember how many Senate votes we had for the Republicans, and we needed Democrat support. Well, it was easier for Wallace Bennett's guy to go talk to Eastland and Stennis and Allen and Sparkman and McClellan and all those uh, bow wheels from the Democratic side of the Senate than it was for Hugh Scott's guy, because senators tend to look through you, right through you, just like a your pane of glass and see where you came from. Oh, Wallace Bennett's guy, he's one of us. Oh, Hugh Scott's guy, he's kind of liberal. So I, I figured that out a little bit, and indeed those Southerners became very good friends. I became very close to Eastland, very close to Stennis. It helped a lot on the defense stuff and on the end of the war stuff and the, uh, uh, the confirmations with Eastland on the, uh, those judges that we went through. And uh, that... Uh, uh, during all those years when Dole was at the RNC uh, and actually in the Senate, it was good to have a senator at the RNC because he played hardball politics. Uh, it was good to work with him and feed him stuff and that he would either use on the campaign trail or on the floor. So he was a good, a good soldier. Uh, and then when it all collapsed, my gosh, it had collapsed. You say hardball. Can you give me some examples of, of how he, he worked with the other members? Well, uh, it wasn't so much uh, uh, the other members on the, on the, in the Senate, although I didn't much see that. I would talk to him quite a bit about helping us with a vote or two here and there. But he was so partisan. When you're Republican national chairman, you're very partisan. You've got to stand on the TV shows and denounce and decry and lament everything that the opposition does. So he wasn't uh, that could uh, help with uh, the, the middle-of-the-road Democrats, but he sure was good with the party and getting our story told on the TV and on the talk shows that 
passed for talk shows in those days, not like the screaming heads that we have today. But uh, his, we had another couple of guys at the White House that used to write speeches for him, and I'd pitch in and get an oar or two in some of those. And I, I wasn't a speechwriter by any stretch, but uh, we would make suggestions, and they would put it into wordsmiths. This must have been a heady time for you, I would think, as a pretty young man, and suddenly with this fine company and whatnot. Well, yeah, it was it was kind of exciting. Uh, I used to say, uh, you know, Greek bartender's son now works in the White House. My my dad, when I went to Washington the first time, uh, there he was big Democrat, and uh, when uh, Senator Bennett signed me up to go to Washington, he called his buddy up and said, "I'm a Dem- I'm a Republican now." And then, uh, uh, by golly, when Agnew got on the ticket, a Greek got on the ticket, boy, all those guys turned. It was the ethnicity came through. Yeah, it was heady times, and uh, uh, but I, I kind of was careful. My late wife and I uh, were careful not to let it go to our head. The beauty of having been in Washington for ten years before you go to the Kennedy Center, to the White House car, to the fancy lunches was that we'd been there. We'd been in campaigns. We put on bumper stickers. The guys that get in trouble in this town, and I'm digressing from Dole a bit, are the guys that come in fresh from the outside that were on the campaign trail with the president and get to go to all these perky and beautiful things and get in trouble because it goes to their head. Uh, I can cite, you know, how far back you want to go. Uh, all the Carter guys that got in trouble, the, uh, some of the Nixon guys that got in trouble, uh, all those characters that overstepped their bounds. Uh, but uh, guys like me who are political junkies uh, kind of have, have had clean noses through all those years. As the son of a, of a Democrat, when did you find your, your re- conservative Republican roots? Well, I guess the first time I voted. <laughs> uh, I suppose, uh, I, suppose uh, I voted for, for Eisenhower because he was a war hero. And then pretty soon uh, started voting for, for Republicans in the Senate. I was in Utah. Utah is a very conservative, <coughs> bow weevil state. Uh, I was against federal aid to education, and I was started grew on me. And I got into the, I was a reporter on the paper. And then I was uh, in the advertising business, and they had corporations, and it kind of, kind of grew on me. And how did you come to Senator Bennett's attention? Well, what happened is. Uh, I worked at the ad agency that handled his 1962 senatorial race against a guy named David King. And uh, it was a tight race, and uh, I didn't do much at the campaign except at the ad agency doing some of the gopher work. And when the campaign ended, his press secretary uh, decided to, uh, to go get a real job downtown, and they were looking for a, uh, a media person. And, and uh, he came to me and he said, I'm looking, you've been uh, around town, you worked on the paper, you worked at the AP, you're a Columbia Journalism School graduate, you're a big shot uh, media person, PR, find me somebody to come to my office. And I, a little slow on the uptake, sure, here the United States Senator has asked me to help him find some. So I physically went over to the Tribune, the Salt Lake Tribune paper, stood in the newsroom and looked around the newsroom. And I said, I wonder who are these guys that I could hopefully tap to go to Washington to work for Senator Bennett to be supportive. And I said, came back to, to myself and I said, holy smoke, boy, am I slow. Me. 
And uh, I went back and told him, I said, I found somebody who's very good. And he said, who, me? I said, you, uh, holy cow. Uh, which led to a couple of funny things. Uh, uh, I went to Washington on Thanksgiving in 1962, called me over to go on a Friday. And I walked in the door, and he saw me with my suitcase, and he said, uh, uh, beware of Greeks bearing gifts. And I said, no, the question is, what does a Grecian earn? And so <laughs> we laughed, and he said, uh, oh, do you, uh, he, I was the first non-Mormon he hired. Uh, Utah has, was, the demographics were changing. There were a lot of other, I was married to a Mormon. I knew more about the Mormon church than most Mormons because the ad agency I worked at handled the church account. And uh, uh, he said, do you smoke? And I said, no, no, I don't. And he turned to his administrative assistant, Ralph Meekham, and said, well, I guess we can hire him. Didn't ask, can I write a declarative sentence? How Republican are you? How do you feel about anything? Well, I don't know if I smoked. He didn't want anybody from the state of Utah sitting in his office smoking when the Mormons and others came by. He was the son-in-law of a former president of the Mormon church. So uh, that was pretty, uh, pretty good. And then, and then what happened to me, gosh, I'm telling more about me than I am about Dole. Uh, what happened is that uh, uh, I became what he called a belligerent ally of the Mormons. Uh, I was an outsider, I was a Greek that defended the Mormons. And I uh, would do it with some uh, uh, pizzazz, and I wouldn't take any uh, uh, prisoners when they needed support. Uh, Mormon church guys would come in and say, uh, gee whiz, we appreciate what you're doing as an outsider. It gave credibility to, to my defense of uh, their causes. And Dole and Bennett had a good relationship through the years. Eventually, Dole got on the finance committee where Bennett was. He was ranked Republican. Uh, he was a good, solid vote. He was a smart guy, very political, and uh, they hit it off uh, fairly well. So when you were <clears throat> doing the senatorial uh, liaison for Nixon, uh, what were some of the issues that you were going up to the Hill about? Well, in those days, uh, uh, mostly, uh, gosh, day and night, day and night, and the war amendments, Vietnam War, Cooper Church, Mansfield, troop withdrawals, uh, uh, too many troops overseas. Uh, uh, we had a, every other week we'd have an end the war amendment, uh, whether it was somebody with cold funds or just like is happening today. And uh, we would beat them back. We'd lose one, win one. It was always within a vote or two. And uh, we worked those uh, to a fairly well. Uh, I remember we got uh, Dole and others to help us with the outside groups, the veterans. He was thick with the disabled veterans, uh, the, the FWs and the legions and the what have yous, uh, to drum up support. And what we didn't know was Nixon and Kissinger used to come up to me and say, I'd give a report to well, there's a vote Friday on the end of war. Oh, God, can you delay it till Monday? Said, well, let me see what I can do. So we'd go up and fool around, delay it till Monday. And then Monday vote, what time's the vote? Well, at noon. Oh, can you do it at five? Well, what had happened is Kissinger was over in France talking to Lee Docteau, cutting deals for the pieces at hand thing. And of course, we didn't know any of that. And uh, he was, uh, uh, he needed time so that they didn't undercut him. Go into a meeting with the, the Viet Cong over there and, oh, you just lost your vote. I don't, it, it, would, it would hurt. 
Henry's leveraging. And uh, all those days, uh, it was, it was touch and go, uh, delaying it here, thwarting it there. And, and I remember Stennis and, and uh, others on the floor would, uh, del- we, we did a lot of shenanigans. We were a minority. We, we, had, we, had a lot of, we had to work harder. Did you go up as a team, or was it pretty much you alone? Pretty, pretty much me and two or three other guys used to go. We, we, we had small groups. Then. I only had, the job was a one-and-a-half-person job, and, but we had an assistant once in a while to do things. And then you had confirmations that you had to worry about. And so constantly we were up there uh, spending all day and all night up in the Capitol uh, doing our thing, and uh, uh, where you'd go into the back rooms and there'd be senators and there'd be guys like Dole and Eastland and Pastore and others just yakking away and we did more. Uh, that was one of the good things about those days. Uh, uh, the, the back rooms were filled with camaraderie and conversation and uh, a bottle of Chevis or two and uh, what ended up happening is uh, uh, the relationships would grow from both sides of the, of the aisle and uh, it was, and we used to win. And you were making contact with Democrats as well as Republicans. Oh my yes, oh all the time. We never, we never had the votes to do it on our own. Uh, never had the. I, I should, I guess, look up the numbers of what they were in those days. Um, what can you? What do you have to say about um, the Ford presidency then, and President Ford's selection of Dole to be his running mate? Well. Uh, the Ford presidency was fascinating to me personally. Uh, first of all, President Nixon, Agnew went away uh, in a sad sort of a situation, and uh, President Nixon uh, called us all down uh, uh, to say uh, that he had uh, uh, selected Jerry for. He called the group together and selected Jerry Ford to be the vice president. Well, we called leadership down and. Uh, uh, when the president announced it, it was all uh, fine and wonderful. It, for the first time under the constitutional amendment, he had to be confirmed by both the Senate and the House. And uh, so I said to him, "We've we got to we got to get moving here. We've we got to get you confirmed on both sides." I had done a lot of Senate confirmations. It was the first time in history we had done a House confirmation. So we prepped him and got. To going and uh, it was it was hard getting Democrats to vote for Ford because Watergate was brewing and a lot of Democrats said it's conceivable I'm voting for a president of the United States it's a Republican because this it was in the air in a lot of circles that Nixon was in trouble and that he could either get impeached or leave and here was the next president so uh, the other thing that happened during that before that is Nixon asked. Uh, uh, a lot of senators, Republicans, Democrats alike, give me your counsel on who you want to be vice president. Who should we select? And I remember going to Hill, I was getting envelopes. I got them from Bob Byrd and Brock. And Nixon, in the worst way, wanted to select John Conley. And Conley has defected. He was a Democrat that had gone Republican. And I remember Senator Byrd of uh, West Virginia, uh, he was minority leader or something at the time, he said, Tom, if he selects Conley, there will be blood coming on the floor through that door of this Senate. See, he was a defector. He was a, he, he pissed off the Barracudas on both sides. Uh, 
So what he ended up uh, doing was you'd pass these back, and uh, pretty soon uh, they they chose Ford. Hugh Scott uh, was unhappy that he didn't get selected uh, because he thought he had a deal with uh, uh, Nixon that it would not be pick Scott or Ford. They were both leaders at the time. They used to come to leadership meetings. Somehow, I don't know how Scott got it in his head. And I told his staff, I said, you know the trouble with senators and presidents and leaders is they talk like Casey Stengel. God, nobody knows what they mean. They go around Robin Hood's barn and yes, and, and so who knows what, uh, what got to somebody's head. And so uh, he named Ford and uh, we got him confirmed both through the House and, uh, and through the Senate. Um. So, did you did you work long with the Ford administration? Yeah, I was there a year. A year. See, the other thing we wanted to do is cleanse ourselves from Watergate. A lot of people thought I was deep throat, and I uh, laughed at that. And uh, frankly, I didn't think there was a deep throat. Still don't. Never mind that guy, senile that he was. They outed him. That felt there. I don't think any one person knew all that stuff. I'm absolutely convinced that nobody knew. Nixon didn't know all that stuff. Nobody knew all that stuff. I think Deep Throat was an amalgamation of a whole lot of leaks. And Deep Throat was an excuse to get a th another source. And then with this, uh, so I, I'm a conspiracy theorist. And so they named, uh, they named uh, uh, Felt as the, as the culprit. But uh, uh, during all those days, uh, uh, the Ford... Uh, uh, presidency evolved uh, into a very positive uh, oh it was a you know a long national nightmare is over and then we had the leadership come down for a meeting with the new president to be in the East Room. They, Nixon went away and gave one of those and uh, it was sad as could be everybody was down in the dumps and uh, the leaders were ready to come in to meet the new president who had been president now 25 yards from the East Room to the Red Room, where they were going to swear him, where he was going to meet and greet. And I stood there with him, and I said, uh, Mr. President, sir, can we start the meeting with the leaders? And he said, sure, uh, who you got down here? Well, I did a naughty thing. The leaders were standing over there by the door, and I was here looking at them, and Jerry Ford was in front of me looking at me. And I saw all those guys waiting, and I talked and talked and talked uh, for show to show that all those guys that President and I were having a tete-a-tete, -tete, having a big, long conversation. I can't remember what I filibustered for the longest time. It could have been two or three minutes just yakking away. And I said, oh, here they are. And <laughs> never mind, they'd been standing there for five minutes. So as they started to come in, President Ford said, now you listen to me. He said, you are the only Senate person I have around here. Everybody else is a House person, Timmons, uh, even guys like Hartman and everybody else, uh, Marsh, all those guys were House guys. You are the Senate, the only Senate person I have. He used the word creature. You're the only Senate creature I got. Don't you talk, let anybody talk you into leaving. Well, the president's been not president 20 minutes, and he's just hired me. I got two or three kids. I'm out of a job. What's going to happen to all us Nixon guys? So he just hired me, and I'm happy as a clam. My gosh, the president's hired me. So when the party and everything, the reception was over, I went down to the White House mess to lunch, and all the Nixon people were down there, and I remember saying in a loud voice, uh, in an obnoxious way, you Nixon guys are in a heap of trouble. 
<laughs> and and uh, the president had just hired me, and uh, then we hit it off pretty good. But you only stayed with Ford for about a year. Correct. Then we left and uh, opened our own company, Timmons & Company, where I continued to do Republican things. I continued to do confirmations. I continued to be the, uh, we had corporate clients that we'd go up and see senators about. So nothing changed, really, except I was doing it for money instead of love. Did you have any role in the selection of Bob Dole for the running mate? or I was at the uh, convention in the back rooms running the official proceedings for the convention. And uh, it was, a, it was uh, uh, the craziest thing. Uh, at the time, everybody thought Howard Baker was going to be one of the guys, and uh, uh, then they start talking about they needed somebody to hit the ground running, a farm bell, and no, I, I can't say that I had anything to do with it, uh, except that uh, President uh, chose Dole because of his uh, RNC days, and he, as I say, hit the ground running and be going. Now, Dole was at the convention, and he and I went to the platform hearings. I remember we got our picture on the front page of Parade Magazine. Uh, before the selection was made, and it ran, and I was pointing like this, and it was kind of a, it was a kind of a great photo and parade guest before the choice was made. And this is a stock picture they had of Dole and I sitting there, and uh, it became a, kind of a, a a good prediction, a good a good thing. So they. Uh, <coughs> Pishon Dole got indeed nominated, and I'll never forget, uh, he was, you know, of course, happy to get it and so on, and he was up on the podium, way the hell up there, and I was down in the audience, and I went like this, and he went like this, that we had, we had pulled it off, and he was, uh, he was great. Then did you play any role in, in his campaigning? Not so much. Uh, we were all uh, working for President Ford, and... Uh, uh, when the convention was over, he uh, went off. I, I didn't do much uh, in that race. No, I did more in the other one when he was involved in the, when he ran in '96. But I didn't do that much with him. Can't say that I did. I've read the observation that uh, President Ford uh, preferred to go play golf during that campaign, and that Bob Dole was the one who was really carrying the heavy heavy weight. Was that true? Oh, I don't know that that's true. No, Ford campaigned well. Uh, I don't know. I never heard that. But Dole did a lot of heavy lifting and was out uh, doing a lot of campaigning. I remember they, one of the states that they wished that they'd beaten was uh, was Delaware. They, they, they was late coming in and a couple electoral votes, and Dole would have been vice president. And I, I remember, I remember he said to me or somebody, uh, God darn it, he said uh, another week. I'd have been vice president because it was moving toward Ford. Uh, any other observations that he shared with you about that particular campaign? Not that I can remember. We were, we were around him a lot, but I can't remember. Now, uh, you assisted him in the leadership battle that occurred in uh, 1984, I think that was. Right. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, there were five or seven of them run for leader, and uh, uh, what it told him is uh, you've got to get a conservative to nominate you and a liberal to nominate you. 
to second you or vice versa, whatever you do. And uh, uh, I remember it's the uh, first lowest guy in the totem pole out. And eventually, uh, boy, I tell you, I sent to Stevens, uh, thought he had it, sent to, uh, who else ran? Like, Griffin ran or? Domenici. Domenici McClure. ran. McClure. Uh, they all thought they had it. I have a saying, and I told it to him. He went around getting votes. And I, it's an iconoclastic thing. I said, it's secret ballot and senators lie. See what do you mean? I said, senators lie. There'll be you'll have fifty votes. Never mind there are only forty senators. They lie. They all want you to think they voted for you. And when it was uh, and and other I told that to Stevens, I told that to all of them. And he said, I didn't believe you. You're absolutely right. It got so bad in some of those leadership races that Senate leaders would have guys watching how long did it take to write out Dole, D-O-L-E, versus Domenici, versus Byrd, versus Kennedy. So they changed the ballot to a checkoff, to an X, rather than writing the name out because people would watch and see whose name are you writing down. Then they gave it, then they he had a felt pen. Oh, I'm going to look at that ballot and see how he voted. The hardest thing to handicap in the world in this town is a leadership race. The guys, senators from the same state won't vote for you because they don't want them to get ahead of you. Senators who are number two on your committee, i.e. Packwood and then Danforth, went all out to vote uh, for Dole for leader because it got him out of the finance committee. It made Packwood chairman of finance and it made Danforth chairman of commerce because the dominoes all fell. Uh, conservatives don't necessarily vote for conservatives. Liberals don't vote for liberals. It's a lot of the old bulls vote for the senior guy whose time has come. Nobody can handicap it. it, it, it it's impossible. And as I told Simpson, as I told Trent Lott, and I've told guys, even uh, Lamar Alexander last year, it's secret ballot and senators lie. And uh, uh, one senator uh, that they all can name has told all three of them that they were voting for him. And they all laughed about it. So uh, to that end, I remember uh, they went to the leadership meeting and uh, Howard Green, my friend, are you going to interview Howard Green? Senator's uh, secretary of the majority. I think we may, yes. Yeah. Well, let him tell you the story. <clears throat> and don't tell him I told you this, but he was counting the votes in the back. And uh, he went like this with his thumb to Dole, and Dole said, me? And Howard said, yes. Uh, and then they announced it, that it was Dole, and Dole was the leader, and he and Elizabeth came up with a dog, and they had a party in the finance committee room, and it was all wonderful and warm and lovely. But then, Howard immediately, when the boat is over, I went up to his office. It must have been 90 degrees outside. And he had a fire in the fireplace. I said, what are you doing? They were all burning to death. He burned the ballots. So nobody could come and see him or repeat him or it, it, to look and see how they voted. He was burning the bloody ballots. That's how serious and it gets. Uh, there are even other stories about when Bob Bird. Uh, you're not supposed to vote proxies. 
But when Byrd ran for leader, Senator Russell was dying at Waller Reed. And uh, they took his vote, and they put it by proxy. It had been signed, the letters like this, it had been signed up and down. And there's some question whether Russell had died before or after the vote. He died 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And when is this stuff going to run? <laughs> I'm not sure I should be saying some of these things. But uh, they, uh, they, uh, he, they used his proxy, and Bird beat Russell Long, and I guess Kennedy was running at the time, too, for leader. And so uh, that is a hard thing to handicap, and it's a lot of luck involved. And, and they went from uh, bad cop to good cop. If you had a like happened to Trent Lott this time around, they beat Lamar Alexander because we now got the minority. We've got to have somebody in there who knows what he's doing and can be a, a, a somebody that can raise cane with the Democrats rather than a nice guy. And so Dole followed Baker, didn't he? Yeah, I guess he did. Uh, and uh, uh, he was a good leader. He, he came around. That's when I started hanging out in his office and knowing better. Um, was he your candidate? or and was? Oh, I told him all. He's my, he's like, like senators. My gosh, I told him all you're my candidate. I hung around the Senate. I was a Senate creature. They were all my candidates. And I, man, what could I do? You know, I was just a lobbyist walking the streets. I told them all the same thing. Get a conservative and a liberal to nominate you. And get somebody that's off the wall. I told, I told them all that. So Dole became leader, and then you became one of his very best friends. Well, uh, yeah, I'd like to think I was that before. but uh, <laughs> Oh, okay. <Yeah. laughs> but uh, when he was chairman of the committee, and uh, we had a lot of doings on the committee. When he was chairman of the finance committee, we had... Uh, uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of dealings with uh, uh, Anheuser-Busch, with uh, 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 airplane stuff for Eastern Airlines at the time. We saved the airline. Yeah, we had a lot of doings together. And then he became leader, and of course I, I hung out in there uh, a lot and uh, advised and talked to him uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, what did, what did hanging out mean? I mean, what- Hanging out means you go to his office and you uh, sit next to, you sit in the, in the reception room waiting and he'd come in and say what's cooking and we'd sit down and BS for a while and sometime he'd call me in and sometime uh, other senators would come in and it was I became uh, a fifth wheel in the operation and uh, uh, I had the wherewithal and the luck that senators liked me and that he uh, uh, let me stay in the meetings I'd get up to leave once in a while he'd say sit still the one time I did leave is when Senator Peck would resigned. I was in there with him, and they uh, got talking. I said, I'm getting the heck out of here. I ain't voting in this thing. <clears throat> but the other thing that we, we got to doing together when he was leader was I became Nixon's Washington guy. Nixon used to call me all the time, and I used to call Nixon. Uh, Nixon, when he was rehabilitating himself up in New York, would call me up and he'd say, bring in the freshman senators. Dole to bring them up. All right, sir. There'd be four or five freshman Republican senators. So I Dole would get them. We'd get us a plane and go up to to Teterboro and wander over to New York, over to New York, and have Chinese food with Nixon. And he, I'd give him a memo or something on what they were all doing, who they all were. Uh, he and Faircloth uh, uh, talked about how Nixon's uh, <laughs> debate with Khrushchev in the kitchen and. And then another time I was up there with Dole when Senator Danforth decided he wasn't running. <coughs> Dole took the call and we went in he went in and told Nixon and we were all chagrined and 
<clears throat> so I became a Nixon's uh, Washington guy. Then Dole did an interesting thing. He brought him down. He brought him to Washington for a, uh, a, a, a park him in his office in the back room there at the leader's office at 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, serve drinks, and usher in uh, senators to go listen to Nixon tour the world. Nixon knew what the hell he's talking about. But what Nixon did is he'd call me up and he'd say, what's going on in the Senate? I was the world's leading expert on the Senate from the outside. Then he'd call John Lehman up and he'd say, what's going on in defense, former Secretary of the Navy? Then he'd call somebody else up, what's going on in the banks? And then he'd call somebody else up, what's going on here? And he was doing his own little tutorial. And he became, he was doing, like going to school. And uh, so we'd bring him down and he knew a hell of a lot about a lot of things. And he toured the world. He was great on foreign affairs. He, he didn't need notes. Two memorable ones when, we, when Dole brought him down was he and Bob Michael, don't hold me to what anniversary it was. It was an anniversary of Nixon's inauguration. 20 years, was it, or whatever. Might have been, 25. And so they had this big uh, big dinner in, uh, in the the not the Mansfield room, the other room. Maybe it wasn't. No, it was the other room. The Lyndon Johnson room, and Byrd was there, and all all the Democrat senators, and I happened to be, Dole had me come in there because I was a Nixon guy. And Nixon gave a tour of the world that was great. And then, I can't never forget, Byrd stood up and said, uh, said the funniest thing. He said, uh, I want everybody to know that uh, I was going... Uh, Two or three months ago, I went. To, I was going to Russia. He was the leader, and I was going to see Khrushchev, uh, not uh, Gorbachev. <clears throat> he said, "Well, I decided to call President Carter uh, about. Hey, I'm supposed to see Gorbachev. What do you think?" And he told me some things, which you know were okay. And he said, "Then I called Jerry Ford. And I said, hey, 'Hey, I'm about to go see Carter,' and you know." And he said some things. And so then I called Nixon. He said, my gosh, he, it's as though he knew I was calling him. He gave me this tour, said, now you tell him just because this election is up that this is not going to be any change in American policy, and you tell him that, and you tell him this, and you tell him that. And, uh, and that's how he introduced Nixon. And he said, it's as though Nixon knew I was calling him. So when Nixon stood up, he said, Bob, I gave up bugging a long time ago. I didn't know, I didn't know you were calling him. So he praised Nixon for the knowledge that he had. And uh, Bird put that, or uh, Dole put that together, and then another one he put together. He got to the Democrats to put one on. Bird put one on in his office for the Democrats, and I remember I went there to the appropriation committee room where Bird was uh, hanging out in the Capitol, and they brought in all these Democrats that had voted against and were charging Nixon with all kinds of high crimes and misdemeanors during the Watergate days, and Nixon gave him a tour de force of that. And they, they were sitting there with their mouths agape. Uh, Senator Levin, I remember, told me afterward that, uh, my gosh, I can't believe that this guy, I, I was, he was such the devil incarnate, and here he is. I'm sitting here talking to him. It, it was so valuable and so good an experience. Then he doled in an interesting, interesting thing. He'd bring Nixon down. God, he had, uh, what was the Dole's driver's name? Uh, Wilbur? Was that Dole's driver? Uh, he told me that, I said, I need a car. I got to pick up Nixon. So take Wilbur. 
So Wilbur and I go down to Dixie to stay at one uh, DuPont Circle, not DuPont, uh, Washington Circle in the hotel over there. So I go down with Wilbur to get the car to pick up Nixon. We pick up Nixon. We had to be at the Capitol at 1 o'clock, and Wilbur is going this way. I said, Wilbur, the Capitol the other way. He said, no, we've got to go to the Watergate. Senator Dole likes to go from the Watergate. And I said, Wilbur, we're going to the Capitol. I know the way. Turned to come to find out that he had this mindset of only going to the Capitol only from the Watergate. So we, I told Dole that. He said, well, you know, <laughs> take it easy on Wilbur. So finally we get up there. And he'd put Nixon in the back room, and he'd call in senators to talk to Nixon, five and three and seven at a time. And I sat there all afternoon one day for two or three hours. Then Dole would go out in the hall and get tourists. There'd be a bunch of people from Kansas come in to see the senator. and Hey, want to see the president? Come on in. Come on in and see Nixon. And he'd call him in to see Nixon. Then he went down and got the waitresses in the... In the, in the Senate dining room, brought him up. And then he got the pages. Then he got the people off the street. Nixon's in there talking. And they'd come in, and they'd sit there, and then they had the Senate photographer take a picture of all these people. And, and Nixon, I thought Nixon's going to blow a stack, and he loved it. He loved it. He said, that guy knows people. It's amazing what he knows about people. And... and uh, I, I, he got the guy that cleaned the bathrooms in the back in the Senate cloakroom and the Senate marble room, and, and he brought them all in there to see and shake hands with Nixon, the staff off the floor. And he reveled in this, and he was, he was so good at thinking of, about other people. Uh, then when Dole decided to run for president, he called me, he said, let's go see Nixon. And I said, fine. We called him up. And uh, Nixon said, uh, anytime you want. So I went up, and we had a sandwich. And Nixon sat down with him, and it's the quietest i ever seen Dole in my life. He sat there and listened to every word Nixon said for an hour nonstop. And I remember Nixon said, you've got to do what I did. You've got to go out and make commitments. I get commitments from governors. You've got to get endorsements. You've got to go out and get delegates. You've got to start now. No, don't resign. Your first job is to elect a Republican Senate first. Then you decide to run. And don't let on you're doing it. And on and on, just crass political counseling. And Dole sat there and he'd look at me and <laughs> try to take notes and try to remember half the stuff he said, trying, just the three of us in the room. I thought I'd died and gotten to heaven. Here's Nixon, Dole, and me, these two great political characters uh, in there uh, talking about the next presidency. Did they talk as equals, or or was still deferential to the president in particular? Or? Well, he was so deferential, he didn't say a word. You know, he was just, ah, just listen. And, uh, you know, how dull is, impatient as hell. He, he doesn't, doesn't take to too many conversations like that. But he, yeah, I guess it was equals, because he was uh, like a, a little kid in school learning from the master. This was uh, prior to the 88 uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I guess it was prior to the... When did Dole run for president? Well, he ran in 88 against Reagan. And that was no, it was short that was the other So one. it was 88 against 88. Bush. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Huh. Wow. Well, no, it was when he... That one and then the other one when he... See, Nixon didn't like much like Bush for some reason. Well, I guess one of the reasons he never called him. Nixon didn't like Quayle. 
I think one of the reasons he didn't like Quayle is that Quayle called Nixon and invited him to come to the Capitol. And Nixon took umbrage with that. He should come see me. So uh, tell me about what your observations are in terms of Dole's leadership style. What kind of a leader was he? It was a different kind of leadership style that he would let them go into the room and beat each other up. I was in there one time. We were working on something. <clears throat> it was a veto. And uh, no, that was another time. I'll tell you that story later. What it was was some issue they were, had to decide on something. And that was contentious as could be. The Republicans were fighting with each other and, and just screaming and hollering. And, and I, I sat in the other office. I could listen to all this in the outside of his office over there. And he came out. And I said, what are you doing out here? Why aren't you in there? Oh, they said, that we're, get, we're, we're, we're making progress. Making progress? I said, they're going to kill each other. Oh, no, you're kidding me? That's good. Let them. So he sat down, and we had a cup of coffee. I said, well, you, you, what are you, shouldn't you be in there? Huh? Let them work it out. And it did. It settled down. That was his leadership style. He let it work, work it out was his mantra. And, and uh, sure enough, they came forward and worked it out. And he was a good lobbyist. When the president... Bush vetoed a, the, I never forget, he vetoed the uh, communications bill, the, the, the Telecom Act of some kind. And uh, he was, Dole was working it like hell. And he used to go to him and say, now I'm a leader and you're going to follow me. You, you understand that? I'm either going to lead or not. You tell me whether you're going to follow me. I'm your leader. You've got to, this is different. This isn't the issue. The issue has disappeared. This is support the president. And I'd hear him say that to to them in, in no uncertain terms, and they'd quiver. And uh, sure enough, uh, uh, he cut deals with more than one or two guys. Uh, made, some guys wanted uh, somebody from their own state to be ambassador to somewhere, and they'd go down and tell Bush. And, gosh, he called me one day. He told me one day that he went down there and had one center was on the fence. He couldn't believe, what are you doing? What do you mean? You're not, well, they want to appoint my guy ambassador to something or other. So, so, so Dole told me that he told Bush this, and Bush picked up the phone, called personnel, and said, "Why are we making this guy ambassador?" And and Dole told me, the president said, "I don't care how bad he is, name him ambassador." <laughs> and Dole came back and said, "Well, we got his vote. I'm not going to tell you who it was because the guys are still around. But we got his vote. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was. Uh, he worked it as much as Bull and Bush." Got to squabble over, you know, quit lying about my record. He was a good leader for Bush. He was always there. His leadership style was one of, of work him hard, uh, stay till it could be worked out. He was there day and night. I remember the gun bills. I remember the when uh, they closed the government down over the question of uh, of uh, debt ceiling or, or whatever that Deficit. thing turned out. Uh, he was a he was a good leader and. Uh, they respected him, and he, he got along with Mitchell, always shook hands. That's different today. Always shook hands with Mitchell. They fought like crazy. I remember President Bush came <coughs> to Dole's office once, uh, and uh, they went in, and it was a surprise drop-in. And they yacked away for a while, and, and I was sitting there. Looking back on this, I don't know how the hell I got away with sitting, just sitting there day and night in his office. I was kind of a... Yeah, I did some lobbying and got paid for doing some stuff, but 
I got a lot done in there. <laughs> and so the Nick, Bush came in and we sit there and yak away and he said, come on, let's go. And Bush said, where are we going? He said, we're going over to see Mitchell. We're going to see Mitchell? Yeah. Come on. It was the White House staff, oh, it wasn't on the agenda. Oh, my goodness. Baloney. We they traipsed down and see Mitchell in the leader's office. So he came, I didn't go to that, but he came back and said the funniest thing, he said, he said we walked in and, and here's the President of the United States and the and, uh, and George Mitchell's leadership office and said, hi, is George here? And the staff all quivered and they went out and got him. And, and Mitchell was in a meeting with two guys from Maine on some, I don't want to say sewer thing, but some diversion of some water thing that they were working on. And uh, Mitchell bounced out of his chair and said, gee whiz, uh, yeah, gosh, I'll be right back, he told the guys. And uh, Mitchell... Being smarter as hell, said, uh, you know, come on, I want you to meet a couple of guys from Maine. The leaders don't forget from where they came, and Dole didn't either. They're from Kansas first. You ain't getting elected in Kansas and Maine. You ain't going to be leader long. And Mitchell and Dole did that. I'll tell you another story about Dole in a minute on that score. So he took Bush in to see these two guys from Maine. He said, what brings you here? Well, we got this sewer diversion thing, and we can't fix this thing in the Interior Department and whatever, the water, something or other. And Bush said, well, we can handle that. And, and Mitchell said to the guy, see, anything else I can do for you? And, and Dole was laughing up a storm. Uh, Dole did that a lot, too. When he was leader, we brought Nixon to Kansas and uh, for a, a thing, a, a book signing and a dinner and a thing. And I remember saying, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the third... The President of the United States and Senator Bob Dole, I said it on the microphone. And they all went out, and Nixon gave this big, long speech. And what Dole had done, smart as can be, he bought Nixon's book. And he had a stack of them around to give to the people that came. Must have been 100 people in the room, all gaga over Nixon coming to Kansas. We had pre-planned it and arranged it and got Nixon a private plane. He used Air Dole, you know, one of those jets that he commandeered from the private sector somewhere. Can't do it today. So uh, Nixon started autographing these books. And one uh, uh, of Nixon's staff guys said, time's up. He's got to go. He should have gone an hour ago. And I'd go to President Nixon. I'd say, uh, hey, what do you think? He said, you cannot love this. Bring him on. And there's still 20, 30 more people. Hey, what's your name? I'm Charlie. Well, it's a Charlie. Richard Nixon. Hey, what's your name? Hey, come on over here. Nixon had a ball doing this, and old Dole was parading these guys around, not forgetting Kansas. Uh, there was a lot of... Oh, I have to tell you another story that was fun. Uh, I got him in trouble once. I got him in trouble a lot. Uh, but this particular time, we were working on a railroad strike bill. And uh, it was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he said... Uh, the House was working on the bill where the Senate was waiting. He says, can, so he got up and he went to the Senate. He says, I deem the bill passed. Then I said, fine with me. Anyway, we went home. The, the bill was deemed passed. It ain't passed the House yet. Kind of broke every rule of precedent there was, I guess, because it was now time. To, you had to break the railroad strike. And uh, one of the things that first thing that happens when the railroad strike is, becomes known to the people is when McDonald's runs out of French fries. Potatoes are freshly shipped to McDonald's nationwide. And when they don't get there, people start suffering. That was the first indication that there was a strike and it was going to hurt America. 
because McDonald's ran out of French fries. So uh, they passed the bill, and the dean passed it. Doe came in and said to Sheila, uh, what's my schedule tomorrow? And she said, you're doing this at 8 and 9. I said, early in the morning, 10, 11. And at noon, you and Speaker Foley are meeting the Dalai Lama. So the Dalai Lama, what am I doing the Dalai Lama? I want to do that. And he said, yes, you are. You know, that's the Dalai Lama's coming up the steps. It's a big deal. And the Speaker's going to meet him out at the back steps. So he turns to me and he said, hey, Korologos, you hang around these Greek priests all the time. How do you address the Dalai Lama? And I said, well, that's easy. It's, hello, Dolly. So I've seen you, Dolly. So fast forward, uh, the next day, I'm hanging out, going back up, wandering around the halls, and the, every cop, every staffer, all the pages, the leader's looking for you. The leader's looking for you. Dole's looking for you. One of them said, Dole's looking for you. He's madder than hell. So, so what's he mad at me for? So I finally found him. I said, you're looking for me, boss? He said, yeah, you got me in trouble. I said, what do you mean I got you in trouble? What did I do? He said, come to find out, when Dole and Foley were waiting for the Dalai Lama to drive up in his car, he turned around to the international media and started singing, Hello, Dolly. It's so long. And it, it you know, became a full-blown international incident. And he's mad at me because I told him to do that, like always happens. So uh, that was one of the other, one of the funny stories that uh, I remember another time. Uh, he brought uh, then uh, Elizabeth started uh, he, he went to testify for her to be secretary of what labor or transportation or something I remember he got in there he said I regret that I have but one wife to give to my country <laughs> and then he's then he and uh, you know who was good that you had interview is uh, uh, Tim Chuck uh, the speechwriter works for uh, Senator Smith in Oregon Terry Timchuk, T-Y-M-C-H-U-C-K. He did, uh, Terry was great. He did the analysis. He's he the one that figured out it was Nixon's 25th anniversary and it was this D-Day and that, this, that. And he he was a great speechwriter. He did a lot of stuff for Dole that, that might be useful to the history. Mm-hmm. Brian, I don't know. Is there any more? Have I shot my wad? I can't no, remember. No. <laughs> Well, we've just begun. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> were there other times when Dole uh, upbraided you or got mad at you? Or? Oh, yeah. One time he told me I was voting. We were voting on something, and I, he told me who was uh, uh, one of the guys that wouldn't vote for us. And so I, I got, I'm a lobbyist. I get paid to hustle votes, so we hammered his home state uh, and put some heat on him, and he heard about it from the senator, you you told Cor- how do they know I wasn't voting for you? God damn it, I told you, Corlogus, you shouldn't have done that, you got me in trouble. He waxed hot and cold sometimes. You'd never you never uh, crossed him. And I, I I don't have any regrets about doing that because I you know, Dole, you're not paying me, this guy is. Uh, the, my client is. And so uh, that was one time. But he got over it. Another thing uh, another time that he Come to find out, I didn't learn this for a while. You never bothered him when he was in there eating. When he was sitting there having a lunch, he did not want to talk. And I, I, I did it once or twice, and he go, "Not right now, yeah." So I'd leave and feel bad for a while, but then I'd make up. I've 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 read people who have said that 
it always seems like there's a little bit of anger just below the surface, or, or you can quickly be uh, upset. Yeah, I, Is that true? He had some anger below, between the surface, but he never, he never showed it. Uh, he'd take it out on me once in a while instead of other senators and other staffers, and I didn't mind it. Uh, he would get unhappy with certain senators who uh, they'd come and grouse at me about, that guy drives me crazy. Uh, and they'd say, how we handle it? I'd say, yeah, forget it. That's him all the time. He grouses at everybody. and We didn't... Uh, so you obviously had reached a comfort level where even if he was talking harshly to you, you knew that you could come back the next day and yeah, it's going to be okay. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I'm getting nervous that I'm overplaying my role in his office. I was there a lot. I wasn't his number one guy. Oh my gosh, he had Sheila. He had, uh, what's his name, that went to the truckers. Uh, got up drawing the blank. He had a good staff. He had uh, uh, Rod Yarmut. He had... Uh, I've been gone too long. All those guys in the committee that were there with him on the substance stuff more than I was. I, he and I did political talking and yakking back and forth. I didn't get into chasing amendments on the tax bills and all that. Those guys were good. I was going to ask you about some of the bills or some of the big issues that came up like health care and uh, NAFTA and various other things. He was a good uh, tactician. The poor guy uh, couldn't write couldn't take notes, so it was all in his head. And he always had uh, he had to remember and be reminded of a lot of things. You and I can sit here and take something out of paper and write it down, he couldn't do that. Uh, and he uh, had a, uh, a tendency to, to, to dig deep into issues and had them all in his head. It was remarkable. What uh, what about the '94 revolution, so to speak, with Newt Gingrich coming in and the and, and so forth? How did Dole react to that? Well, in the first place, uh, I remember that night of the vote. Uh, we were all hanging out. Uh, he had a huge party in the back, where the Republicans were winning everything, and it, the House was going Republican, and we didn't know what the Senate was going to do. Senator Gorton looked like he might lose. It would have been a disaster because he'd lost. So he and uh, the other guy's name was Jim Whittinghill, and I and Elizabeth were in there uh, looking at the votes and counting polls, and Witt called somebody and then says, it's okay. And, and uh, he was very pleased with that. Uh, and uh, there was a point with which he did not want to go too far. His, his relationship uh, with the Democrats and his role as a leader was not to take the car over the cliff, which is what he didn't do on uh, the waiting period on guns, on the Brady Bill. He didn't do it on uh, when they shut down the government, when he said, that's enough. Uh, he didn't do it on, uh, he, he didn't keep them all in all night, all along, but he kept them in uh, weekends, sometime to vote. I remember there was a bill up, uh, Witt got married, was getting married, his one of his staff guys, and it was a, a Saturday on, I guess it was November 1st. The election was November 7th. And they chose it, because you know, surely the Senate would be out. They weren't. And so we all went to the wedding up in uh, some place over in the mountains of Maryland and ran back to do the Senate. And uh, Dole kept him, uh, kept him working when he had to. 
uh, and uh, he gave guys passes when they needed them that knew they were running. He, he was a good political leader, just a tactical as could be. And they liked him. The, the, the guys liked him. All right, let's talk about the uh, 1996 presidential race. Well, he decided to jump into it, and, it, and I had been helping him and Elizabeth at conventions. Uh, when Elizabeth was the, uh, what was she, temporary chairman or something, one of those, uh, she came to me, and uh, I, uh, I was her uh, rabbi. I handled all of the official proceedings, every word she said. I scripted it. I... We sat down, we rehearsed it, we went to Dole Suite at the, wherever it was, where we, I guess we were in Dallas, weren't we, or somewhere, uh, and uh, helped her out there. Uh, and then uh, I would help uh, Dole at the conventions. I, I, would, I did all the official proceedings uh, under the podium for scripting all the rehearsals and all that. Uh, the, I used to say to the party and others, don't forget this is a political convention whose sole purpose is to nominate a president and vice president. All this other stuff is nice and it's needed and it helps the party, but in the end, somebody has to call a roll and get delegates into that hall and pass a platform and pass uh, permanent rules and pass a convention. You know, sorry, all you guys, but that yeah, here is what we need to do, and you guys can take the rest of the time and do whatever you want. So I did all the official proceedings, and I were doing that. Bill Timmons and I uh, did that since, uh, gosh, since '72, I guess, or '68. I've been to seven or eight conventions uh, doing that business, and uh, so to that end, I uh, they grabbed me and I helped Elizabeth, and then I helped Kay Bailey Hutchison, and I helped others. And uh, so pretty soon Dole's fixing to run for president, and he's the heir apparent, and he uh, goes to uh, uh, and wins. He lost to Buchanan the first primary, didn't he? And I went up to I went up to Maine, yeah, uh, and uh, was, was shook up, and uh, then uh, we went to uh, pretty soon that he got he got the thing, and we we did the convention, and uh, went to. Uh, the hotel there, Lighthizer was there. Uh, others uh, who were running uh, the policy stuff at the convention, the dull positions on things, and some of it we made up. God, I'll never forget, the Voice of America guy came up to me and said, uh, uh, we'd like you to do a, uh, a world link. <coughs> Not world link. What was the word he used? World net. A world net interview. You know Dole? And I said, sure. So we did a WorldNet interview. And what that meant was that they got a bunch of, one of them was, uh, was Nigeria, one of them was in uh, uh, someplace else in Africa, Ethiopia, another one was in Morocco. This was a, a WorldNet in Africa. So I wander in, cold as hell, uh, and now I'm on a WorldNet in Africa talking about Dole, and I'm using the usual blather about, yes, uh, convention, and and so now we go to Nigeria, and there's a microphone thing, and I can't see him, but I can hear him. What is the senator's position on Nigeria? God, I didn't know where Nigeria was. And so I sat there, and I said, well, of course, the president's for the, the, the senator Dole's for the rule of law, free trade, human rights, 
and uh, something else. And, and so, wow, you know, headlines the next day, it's all for human rights and free trade and, and uh, rule of law. And, and uh, you know, I was making all this up as I was going along. What, what could be wrong with that? Uh, and then uh, pretty soon the, the convention uh, got going, and I uh, started out as I was going to be convention manager. And then uh, Scott Reed and those guys and Paul Manafort all came in and uh, finessed it away, and I got bent out of shape that they took it away from me. I, I had already done some work about the convention and budget and where everybody was going to stay, and we'd gone out and scoped the, uh, the grounds in San Diego in... Uh, Yes, it was San Diego, yeah. Yeah, at the, uh, where it was going to be, and I went out two or three week, months ahead of time and came back, and I'd report to him on what was going on and sending memos and cable, cables, not cables, cables, ambassador days. So, uh, and then they had, and, and in the end, they were better at it than I would have been. Uh, I was getting, uh, I, I would not have done as good a job as they ended up doing. So I said when the thing was over, I said the two best things that happened in this convention was you fired me and put yourselves into it, and I, I commended them. So, but during the campaign and during the convention, I, I took care of, uh, of Dole, and we were with him and at the rehearsals for this speech and for that. Uh, the night that uh, he, uh, I, I never forget at the. <laughs> At the final acceptance speech, uh, he said to me, is my tie straight? And I said, yeah, you look fine. Fixed piece of hair that kept falling. And I said, you know what? And I said, what? And I said, you finally get to speak last at one of these things. <laughs> he was always, and he remembered that, and he used it a little later. Uh, but uh, he did well. Uh, I scolded him once at a, I'm, I'm getting wrapped around which one it was, uh, but he was sitting at the podium. Well, I was in charge of the podium. He was sitting at the podium. Elizabeth was speaking, and uh, as he does, he's waving at people. And the, one of the cameras is watching him wave while Elizabeth's talking. And I crawled on my hands and knees and put a note in front of me. I said, "Pay attention to Elizabeth. You're on TV." And he dropped everything. And, and paid attention to Elizabeth. Now he's going to get mad when I tell when he reads this, but that's what I did. That's what I was for. Uh, then we, uh, after the thing, uh, there was great consternation among a lot of the uh, staff when he picked Kemp. I know everybody. Kemp, where the hell did that come from? What, what was he thinking? Oh my goodness! I also became friends with Ellsworth during all of this time. You're going to interview Ellsworth. You got to interview him. He knows more about Dole than anybody. Where is Bob? I think he's in California. Is he? I'm not sure. You seen Tom? Hello. I know. Good friend. But anyway, Ellsworth uh, uh, and I and all of us were kibitzing around. And Ellsworth picked, helped, did the vetting for the vice president, as I recall. And they chose Kemp and Whitehouse and all of us. Kemp, my gosh. All right, I'll, you know, whatever Dole wants, I'll do whatever he wants. And uh, so pretty soon we. Uh, acceptance speeches and all that, and the campaign started. He told me to put together a Greybeards group. And I said, what's that? Well, get with uh, Simpson, Laxalt, uh, Gingrich, Senate guys, House guys, old bulls, this guy, that guy. 
about 20 of the old bulls that we should meet with uh, once every couple of weeks to go over a campaign and I'd tip them off and bring the pollster in to show this and do that. Well, I put this together and the campaign got, they got unhappy with me. What are you doing? I said, What's this thing? I said, don't want it. Well, you can't do that. I said, he, he does. He asked me to do it. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with getting support and drumming up surrogates to go around doing this stuff? Well, they were madder than hell at me. And I, I kept doing it. And uh, then I'd, I'd schedule it and I'd go to Dole and I'd say, hey, how about this? And he'd come. And we'd, we'd smooth and, God, I remember a new game we showed up with. At the time, he had a bucket. He used to carry a bucket around. And what it was, was uh, he used to give this speech about how he found that uh, the House budget had uh, uh, an a, a monthly fee of $75 for a bucket of ice. And he was carrying this bucket around, and he said, this is an empty bucket, I saved $75. And he used to bring this bucket around, and they'd all give him advice and counsel. The trouble with those damn things is they all have a piece of action that they want to give the, the president to be, and you can't follow everything. You can't do everything, so they go, well, you didn't listen to my advice. I remember Simpson was in there screaming like hell about the immigration bill. Uh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And it, it, it deteriorated, and it turns out the Scott Reed and the campaign guys were probably right about these guys uh, bitching about their little pet project. And uh, the immigration bill was one that they didn't want to talk about because Dole was ducking and hiding. And uh, we even went to, uh, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, we even got on the campaign plane and went down to the border one time did an immigration thing, and uh, I was briefing the press on Dole's relationship with them. Then we stopped the Nixon Library and we, Dole's relationship with that, and then we ended up at uh, San, at uh, Alcatraz or wherever the hell. Maybe it was San Quentin, one of the prisons where he did a thing. But at any rate, uh, the uh, campaign uh, uh, didn't like what I was doing and, uh, uh, with this with this braid beards, but we kept doing it, and it, it was good. It showed that everybody cared. The trouble with campaigns, everybody volunteers. I, 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 I had a list of 100 people that wanted to help, and you had to include them in the group because they said, oh, you didn't ask me. I was giving you my time. So what I did, I put them all in a room. I said, all you guys want to help, Washington lobbyists, big shots, every, little shots. I said, everybody in this room wants to help. We appreciate all you're doing. We've called you all together at once because you've all volunteered to be here. I'm going to be back at 3 o'clock. Give me some idea what you all want to do. I want five things. I don't want 100 things because there are 100 guys in this room. I want five. Give me the five things and I'll be back. And then you guys set out to do it. And, oh my God, you know, it was aghast at this. The, this thing that I did, and uh, by golly, uh, some of them said, well, you got to do this, you got to do that, and they came up with some pretty good stuff and turned them loose, and they all had participated. So we did that, and then one day we got on the plane, and it was Rumsfeld was there, Marty Anderson, me, and somebody else was on the plane. And uh, it, it looked like, hey, this ain't too bad. Rummy, Marty Anderson, who helped Reagan, uh, gosh, I can't remember. Somebody else, and uh, we were all sitting there, and uh, Dole had taken a liking to me. He said, no, you sit right there. You, you wait right there and wait with me. 
And we, we went on the trip, and then for some reason it fell off. Rummy got off, Marty got off, and I'm looking around, and there's nobody but me. And, and I often said to myself, where did these guys go? Why didn't, did they get tossed off? Did their campaign fire them? Where were they? Why did, they all stuck together. It would have been a hell of a lot better uh, policy-wise. I mean, these were smart guys. And I was, uh, to this day, I don't know the answer, Brian, as to why that thing collapsed. Uh, it was a good, solid group of speechwriters and what have you. And we, but anyway, we went out to California campaigning, and uh, I remember we uh, went to the Northrop plant uh, where Dole uh, got up and, God dang boy, the Clinton campaign knew what they were doing. They, they knew Dole was going to Northrop. Of making a B-2 bomber, and two, uh, the day before, Clinton announced the Defense Department was buying another 10 B-2 bombers. And uh, boy, like they had an inside track to everything. Uh, Dole said, uh, Dole stood up, bless his heart. Pete Williams was there, uh, Pete uh, Wilson was there, introduced him. And uh, I told Pete that, uh, uh, you know, if Dole comes out here, Two or three more times this year, we'll get up to 100 B2s in a minute. And uh, Pete said, "Gee, can I use that?" And I said, well, "Let me ask Dole. Maybe he wants to use it." And Dole said, "No, let Pete say it." And Pete did. Governor Wilson at the time said, uh, "Yeah, we got to bring Dole out here. You come out, we'll fix the B2. We keep the production going." And uh, then uh, <laughs> I never forget. We were at one stop somewhere, and uh, he. Uh, there were three or four or five, he brought four or five congressmen on the plane. I kind of didn't, I can't remember their names or who they were. And we all got off the plane, they all waved, California guys, I guess. And they all waved, and uh, he said, get in the car with me. I got, in front of me, we got to talk, we got some things to talk about. Get, get in the car. So I said, fine. So we got in the car and started off, and I said, what's up? He said, nothing, I just didn't want to ride with any of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> we just rested and closed our eyes. And then another time, we I ended up with him somewhere. I guess it was St. Louis. I, I'm mixing a lot of stories in. Uh, it was in St. Louis doing a fundraiser. And August Bush was a client. So we got August Bush and all it raised a ton of money out there. It was Sam Fox who's now the ambassador and took my place in Belgium and August and all these guys. And August said, uh, write me an introduction. So I stood up and I wrote and I got in the paper. I wrote, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you why you're all here. We have a man in front of us who is going to be either President of the United States, Vice President of the United States, Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, ranking Republican of the Finance Committee, and if none of those, or a majority leader of the Senate, minority leader of the Senate, and if he ain't going to be one of those things, his wife's going to be something. That's why you're here. And laughter and laughter, and, and, the, and it was right. I mean, here's a guy that was going to be one of 15 things at leadership in this country. And uh, we played on that uh, for a while, and uh, uh, we went to uh, a fence thing. God, it was terribly ugly at 
Mex at, at the California border there. The, they had thrown all their garbage. The fence was the dividing line. And the Tijuana guys or whoever it was had thrown their garbage over, the, over on the American side. It was just like a garbage dump. But we sat there in the heat. Oh, then, yeah, then we went to Oakland to uh, pick up Elizabeth. And uh, she was so cute. She, uh, well, the plane pulls up, and she gets out of her car and, and goes like this, like hitchhiking for a ride. And uh, she got on the plane and, uh, uh, and campaigned with us for uh, the next stop, whatever it was. It was, uh, it was uh, heady times. Those were exciting, good times. Uh, and then the damn election came, and we didn't do a darn thing. It was interesting. I uh, went over to the headquarters. Uh, to, oh, Timmons, my partner, and I were doing the transition, the dull transition, where he's going to be president. GSA has to provide space and what have you. And uh, golly, we're down in the dumps in the polls. And Timmons and I were the most optimistic guys in the world that uh, we wanted space and we wanted it ready on the next morning so the transition could begin. And they, GSA wouldn't give us space. And we got mad. And turned out they were right. <laughs> but, uh, I went over there, and I, I did one of the, I was one of the few guys that talked about the campaign. Everybody else was holed up upstairs and wouldn't talk. And that's when Dole came down and said, uh, well, it's over, and uh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning for the first time in my life with nothing to do. Uh, but uh, he recovered and did well. He, at his firm, I he went over there, and I helped him out a lot there. and Not a lot, but I was with him over, over time. It's too bad Joanne Coe has died. She'd have been good for your, for your thing. What about how, how Dole absorbed the defeat? Can you say anything else about that? I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember too much about that. I wasn't around him that much, I guess. I guess he, I, met, I went to Florida one time with him. At, at the place down there with, it was Brinkley, Strauss, Dole, and somebody else had a condo down there somewhere. I don't remember much. Um, you mentioned San Diego uh, and gave a lot of details there. Of course, uh, Elizabeth Dole's speech yeah. was quite yeah. memorable. Yeah. Um, what role did you have to play in that? Well, we orchestrated it. Uh, I hope. We say this after Elizabeth dies too. She she was a, a real pain. She was hard to work with. I took high maintenance uh, for her speech and for what she was wearing and for. We had this stage with big steps, and uh, I said to her during the rehearsal, Elizabeth, you can't wear those high heels on there. You're going to fall down. And she got madder in hell. She wanted she'd be rehearsing, and so we had to put in special steps uh, for the dull stroll that she did. It worked marvelously. Uh, but what happened is she had a mic without wires on it. And I guess even in 96, the quality was today, because you can do it in a minute, but they had huge lights and electronics and, I mean, my gosh, television and everything up there, and it screwed up the, 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 the microphone thing, and we knew it wasn't going to work, and she refused to have a wire. A, a wire to go to the thing, so we uh, uh, 
had one, she, she had this dull stroll and she'd go around and ask questions, but we knew it wasn't going to work eventually. And bless her heart, uh, when it died, we casually slipped her one with a wire on it. She picked up and didn't miss a beat. I'm not sure she knew we had one squirreled away for when the thing was going to fold on us. And, uh, and that worked. Another one that was just one of the staffers, I remember was some woman. They brought in a bunch of Kansans to be along the row when Dole was going to walk in to walk to the stage and accept the nomination so he could see friendly faces. We, we had them all put down in a row. And one of them, I, I went to the meeting and told them what the scenario was. And uh, one of them uh, said, uh, ooh, can we take pictures? And this one staffer said, no, Dole has got to be concentrating on his speech. And I said, bullshit. What do you mean concentrate? It's a, a wild, screaming audience. Con you know, nobody's concentrating on anything. Of course you can take pictures. So I got in a fight with whoever this lady was. It made me mad. I did a lot of stuff like that. I kamikaze around, <laughs> screamed at people. <laughs> um, Let's go back to all these confirmations that you, you did. What, what, what stands out in your mind about, about those? Well, the one that I didn't do was Bork. I didn't do it. I did it, but we lost it. And uh, Dole was a uh, leader at the time. And uh, he, uh, he was, bless his heart, he was more uh, out there in front for Bork than... Uh, even the White House. The White House wanted to cave on Bork. He was becoming an embarrassment. I heard from him. He's got to do the right thing. But Dole wouldn't give up. And I had to talk with him. And uh, see, I was, I was Bork's guy. I, I, I was in charge. Got hell from the conservatives because I didn't do it right. What happened is Bork fooled us. So I thought he was going to be better than he was in the hearing. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't schmooze. He he was the Einstein of the law. He knew every little nuance of the USC 3546, Wayne Wright, but he didn't schmooze. He didn't come across as a human being. And so what happened is uh, uh, it, it started fading on us, and Dole stuck by him and, and uh, called leadership meetings, and, and Thurman and all of us uh, uh, worked it like... Uh, like crazy, and there was a fellow by the name of Jerry Ford who came and testified for Bork when he was uh, it was out of office. Reagan was president, and uh, I remember we briefed Jerry at the not Blair House; it's the one around the corner where he stayed, and uh, uh, and Dole came down uh, to that to talk. Uh, to, to Ford and to uh, is that where Ford testified? Yeah, yeah, it was for Bork. Yeah, it was for Bork. Uh, but uh, uh, what Dole was doing, fishing for Ford's endorsement for president, see in '96, and I had tipped him off that we were going down brief, and he came down. And they did some private talking. I don't know what happened, <clears throat> but. Uh, we uh, had the hearing, and uh, it didn't it didn't go well. Uh, they had a war room, and they beat us, just flat beat us. If they'd have named Scalia second, if they named Bork first, I handled Scalia's too. If they named uh, Bork first, Bork would have got confirmed, 
then the Democrats took over the Senate, and uh, Scalia would have made it because of the Italian thing, ethnic business, and uh, but it, it was not to be. Bork is still unhappy, poor guy. They, uh, that was a sad thing. It boggles my mind that he's not on the court. He's smarter than all of them, smarter than Rehnquist, smarter than all of them. I handled Rehnquist twice, his confirmation twice. I did Rumsfeld this last time around, all the, everybody in the Defense Department, Rumsfeld, Wolfowitz, Fife, and all those characters. Uh, I've handled, I've, I counted them one time, I guess they're three, four hundred. I've done ten a year for forty years. And uh, What does doing it entail? It means you're the shepherd, you're the babysitter, getting confirmed as an arcane art. You'd never done it before. They, they have never gone through the process of having been gone through the ringer of going through the to be confirmed for a job where everything is laid bare. You're, uh, you, you have no rights. Uh, it's uh, open season to ask you anything they want. Uh, I helped Cheney with his nomination for defense secretary. Uh, I helped Rockefeller when he was vice president. Nominee Ford, as I say, both House and Senate. Uh, so you'd start meeting well in advance? And you start meeting well in advance. I take them aside. I say to them, uh, first day, I say to them, first meeting. Uh, by the way, I don't get paid a dime for this. This is all for love of country. Uh, pro bono and nothing. I don't ever want to get anything. I get nothing. And uh, they, uh, first thing I say to them is, what is there in your background that you may have done, either as a student or as a child or as a Boy Scout or a church anywhere, that you are nervous about uh, because uh, those guys on the, on the committee are going to find it and ask you about it. I'm not telling you to tell me what it is, but get an answer in your head because it's going to come up. Well, I had one guy who had two drunken driving convictions in the same night, not conventions, arrests. He, got, he was drunken driving in Georgetown, crossed Key Bridge, and the cops let him go, and five minutes later got a drunken driving ticket in Virginia. And he was up for confirmation. He said, what are we going to do about that? I said, we're going to tell the committee. He was a, a graduate student, GW Georgetown or somewhere, and we're going to tell the committee. Uh, Rehnquist, uh, when he would, the, the old Senate doctor was handling his bad back. He overdosed him on pain pills. So Rehnquist, and this has come out later, was at uh, Walter, uh, Bethesda hallucinate, going hallucinations and walking up and down the hall screaming at ghosts or something because he was on pills. Well, that showed up in the health report. And I went to Biden with Laxalt and a bunch of them, and I said, gentlemen, he is likely to, does everybody agree that we're going to probably eventually confirm Rehnquist for chief justice? And they said, well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Here, read this. Do we really want this out in the public domain? You take a look at it. I know we're not hiding anything, but but don't you think it's time? And by golly, old Biden, Biden bless his heart, said, yeah, yep, that, we, this cannot be revealed. It will hurt the system. And I've been friends with Biden ever since. I, I was, it was an honorable thing to do. Uh, another guy, my favorite story is some guy came in, and I told him that, what is there in your background you may have done? He, I, don't, I can't remember what the heck they confirmed him for. He, wanted, he was up for that you have done that's going to embarrass the president and you. And he thought about it for a second. I looked up from my desk for my notes. And he said, how do they know that? 
I said, oh, what? He said, oh, never mind. He withdrew his name. So something hit a chord, and he withdrew his name. He didn't want anybody to know. I say to them, your role in this process is that of a bridegroom at a wedding. Stay out of the way, be on time, and keep your mouth shut. Uh, the rules are, uh, it's not fair. Uh, the Constitution stops at the hearing room door. Uh, you are to grovel before your true masters, the senators. Uh, you are to uh, uh, be deferential. Uh, you are not allowed to make loud proclamations about uh, un senators do not like to hear loud, big, grandiose plans from unconfirmed nominees. Your role is to get in and get out. This is not a place to make big deal uh, pronouncements or promises. You're allowed to give three-minute speech, not five, not six, not two, three. You can have a 50-page insert on your great and glorious things you've done, but you're allowed to get in and get out. Answer the questions. Uh, and, and, and I said this to Scalia, and I said this to... The other thing that uh, I learned the hard way is I said this to... Uh, uh, I, I read the paper the day your confirmation. Uh, I helped uh, Sullivan get confirmed for the HHS job in Bush 1. The day of his confirmation was the day of the Alar apple scare. Alar was a, something that coated apples and it caused cancer. Here's the health doctor of America didn't know anything about it because he didn't read the paper. He was so nervous. So read the paper. Uh, other little tips that you give, you know. Uh, I don't know is an acceptable answer. Don't make up things. Don't give the store away just to get confirmed. So it somehow works. I've done so doggone many of them. You know what works and what doesn't. Do you do mock hearings? Oh, all the time. Yeah, we did one with Bork that didn't go well at all. I did a lot of them, but it was all lawyers. All the lawyers were there. Uh, yeah, we do that. I play senator, and I'm, I ask them the rottenest questions. And I said, when this is over, I want you to come to me and say, those guys weren't half as bad as you were. If you tell me that, I've succeeded. And uh, then I go to the hearing, to the swearing in, and smile when everybody else takes credit for getting them confirmed. It's a fun process. What about the tower nomination? Were you involved I was in on the fringes of that and helped. That was a, a sad state of affairs for the Senate to turn on one of its own. Uh, Sam Nunn uh, is, uh, hurt himself badly with any Republican to get... He, they weren't going to confirm him for anything. They remember what he did to Tower. And uh, that was... Uh, uh, a lot of that stuff, I don't know how true it was, uh, but it was... Uh, it was a sad day when they turned down a guy like Tower. Uh, I, I got into some murder boards and some briefings with him and some stuff, but in the end, that one didn't work either. Um, I'd like to get your observations on, on the presidents uh, during your period. I mean, we've talked about Ford and, and Nixon. What about Jimmy Carter? What was that period like for you? Oh, I remember... Uh, President Nixon called me for Christmas. He used to call people for Christmas. I said, what do you think of the election? He said, you know what I thought of the election. What kind of a question is that? And uh, I said, uh, I'm a little, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm a little nervous. He said, why? I said, well, we just started our company. Uh, Carter's president. Democrats are taking over the world. And here we are, me and Timmons, a Republican firm. 
He said, you're crazy. Republican firms flourish in Democrat administrations. He says, every business in America thinks the Democrats are in. My gosh, we better hire somebody in Washington who knows what they're doing. And indeed, he was right. We flourished. He said, when Republican administrations are in, corporate America thinks we're safe. Why do we need to hire anybody? So he was right. And uh, we did well. Uh, and uh, they were, Carter was all over the place. He gave uh, parking spaces. He cleared what pictures to hang on the wall. And I have said, I used to go around and give speeches to colleges and stuff about the presidency. And come to find out, there is a composite presidency that comes around. All presidents go through the same thing. They win the election. Uh, they, uh, my gosh, they, uh, they nominate people to be uh, somewhere, every one of them, once out of every one of them gets in trouble over something. You know, you want to talk about Wally Hickel? You want to talk about, what's his name, Burt Lance? Uh, you want to talk about, uh, uh, who did we have in the Bush years? Uh, oh, Paul O'Neill got in trouble with Bird over saying something once, and on and on and on. So uh, the, uh, the, the Carter presidency was one where, what is he? He was a nuclear physicist. What do they do? They touch everything. They've got to have their finger in everything. Presidents bring into the job what they were before. Reagan was a governor and an actor. He brought in the governor-actor. Nixon was a lawyer. He wrote long, long things on yellow pads. Uh, Ford was a congressperson. What do they do? You say 10, we say 5, let's decide on 7.5 and, and go home. Uh, he was a dealer. Uh, I remember when Ford was president, he... He, bless his heart, we, he wanted me to meet people. Uh, so he wanted to meet the leadership. So I brought Russell Long down. And Russell Long, chairman of the Finance Committee, was the kind of a guy who moved uh, his chair more forward, more forward. I'm sitting there in the Oval Office, and Long has got his chair from over there where that book is, clear over here to where, where President Ford was sitting, pulling his chair forward. Pretty soon he's got his hands on his knees, Lyndon Johnson style, uh, pounding on him. Here's what we ought to do on this. Here's what we ought to do on that. And I got a little nervous. Because Ford was sitting there, uh, well, that sounds good to me. It sounds good to me. I said, not the way we make policy, sir. I didn't say that. I said, under my breath. Ford went off somewhere to the Virgin Islands to a big seven conference of some kind with seven leaders. Came back, and he said, bring Long back. So we brought Long back. This time he was president. He said, now, Russell, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this and this and this and this. And Long said, wow, Okay. And I knew that Jerry was now president. He wasn't Congressman Ford. He was President Ford. So Ford was, uh, was did that. Carter was uh, touched everything from the tennis courts to everything. Uh, who was next? Uh, Reagan, I guess. Right. I handled the transition for Reagan. The, 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 my partner Timmons did the big transition. I did all the congressional affairs. And we placed guys in office over on M Street. And we brought Reagan to town. And we did a whole lot of things that were were remarkable. This is turning into a thing on me. Is this what you want? <laughs> well, it's so fascinating. I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my book. It's in the, the Jim Baker book, the uh, Richard Baker book. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm now handling the transition, and we did several things. We uh, uh, brought him into town, and he said, uh, "Bring some senators down." I said, "I got to bring senators down to meet you, Mr. Governor." Sure, bring him down. He stayed at that place, which I can't remember. Blair House is on Pennsylvania Avenue. This place is on the park over here. Mm -hmm. Jefferson House or Jefferson. 
I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. Some other house. <coughs> so I brought them all down and brought Long down and Stennis down, and gosh, I had more fun with Stennis. Uh, Stennis was a big promoter of something called the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway, which was bringing water from here to there, or something in Mississippi that he had been laboring on it for years and years and years. Stennis was also chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, which presidents care a lot about. So I told President Reagan, I said, you say the words Tennessee Tom Bigby and you'll support him, and we got Stennis for eight years. So I said to Stennis, President, what Governor Reagan wants to see you. And he said, oh my goodness, what am I going to say to him? So I gave him his script. I gave Reagan his script. So they came down, and I, right before my eyes, I'm not bragging, I saw these two guys reading their original scripts that I had both written. And the uh, uh, President Reagan said, uh, you know, this he screwed it up, this Tennessee Big Tom Big 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 thing. And Stennis says, yeah, he says, I like, the, I like your support about that, Mr. Chairman. And Stennis lit up, and he turned to me, he says, we're going to get along with this boy. It's going to be all right. By golly, old Stennis was all right. Reagan had put some bucks in there for the thing, and he helped us on every defense thing that, that Reagan wanted. Uh, my favorite all-time story and I told this to Bryce Harlow, and he said, that is the funniest thing he's ever heard. We brought Harrison Schmidt down, who had came down. He was an astronaut from New Mexico senator. We brought him down to see Reagan. And uh, Reagan said to him, you know, this is the 10th anniversary of the landing on the moon with the uh, 15th or whatever year anniversary of the landing on the moon with, uh, with, with your landing on the moon. And we had researched it, and he said, yeah, that's right. He said, boy, that's a fascinating thing. How was it? And they yacked about it. And then Reagan said to him, you know, one of the things that bothers me, and this was the start of his Star Wars thing, one of the things that bothers me, he said, is through the centuries, through the years, history has had offensive weapons and defensive weapons sort of keeping up with each other. I suppose, he said, you had the, the sword, and then you had the shield. And you had a rock, and then you had a wall. Then you had this and you had that. And you had an uh, airplane and you had a bomb shoulder and something. He said, how on earth did uh, the nuclear missile thing get so far ahead offensively <coughs> from the defense? There's no defense against it. <coughs> and Schmidt said, oh, no, no. Gee whiz, you're wrong. Why, down in Sandia in New Mexico, it's me and Schmidt and, Bush and Reagan in the meeting. Down in Sandia in New Mexico, there's a lot going on, and, and they stopped. And he looked at him, and he said, Are you cleared? <laughs> and Reagan, bless his heart, turned, well, 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 Tom, am I cleared? I said, I said, Governor, I think they cleared you last Tuesday. <laughs> so they went on and talked about whatever the, the Sandia invention with the Star Wars shooting down planes was all about. And uh, that was really uh, one of the funnier instances. Right. Let me bring it back to, to finish up today. Um, what are your what observations do you have about uh, Senator Dole working with Bill Clinton? Uh, I think it was a respectful relationship. Uh, he was president. Uh, I was on a plane with Dole going somewhere. God, where were we? You know, one of those air dole things, uh, and we were coming back from somewhere, and uh, 
we didn't have we had a, 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 a f cell phones weren't that sophisticated and good and uh, <coughs> I picked up the phone I guess it was in the plane and he was sleeping and uh, they said uh, President Clinton liked to talk to Dole and I said uh, sure and I shook him and I said the President wants to talk to you so he took a glass of water and he got on there and he said Lope like you always used to do Mr. President and uh, he said no I'm in a plane coming back from somewhere to somewhere. And he said, uh, okay, okay, hangs up. I said, what was that? He said, he wants me to call him when we get on a ground line. He didn't want to talk over a airplane line where thousands of people could hear it. So we stopped somewhere for gas and oil about an hour somewhere. I don't know where the hell we were. And I went to a phone, and uh, it was one of the Libya things that Clinton did. And he wanted Dole to know about it. They got along pretty good. There were a couple old Pauls that as I recall, I didn't, I didn't know much about how they, what they did at leadership meetings because they didn't go to those. That was one of the things that I remember about that, and I, 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 I can't really give you anything substantive. You mentioned um, your your oral history with Dick Baker in the Senate uh, Historical Office, so people who are reading this transcript should should know that that. Okay. That exists because it's a very thorough, yeah, uh, probably yeah. Of, of these years. Ours has been more focused on on Bob Dole. Is there any last thoughts you have you'd like to express at this point? Well, Dole was and is a good friend. Elizabeth was and is a good friend. <coughs> I love the guy. Uh, he was exasperating. He uh, was uh, his bedside manner sometimes weren't <coughs> weren't that. Got hot with people. Uh, we raised money for him. Uh, we've, uh, I've, I've, I thought he was one of the great strengths of the, of the era. Uh, boy, uh, what a what a what a thing, for him to do. Uh, the films that we showed, of his uh, wounds at uh, conventions, and that guy was a genuine hero. Uh, came back from uh, Italy. I remember he took a trip over there with D'Amato. You ought to ask D'Amato about him. If you get on the list, they were, they were pretty good friends. They, he went to Italy and showed D'Amato where I think it was over on that hill over there where he got shot. And I think what happened to Dole at that thing is they used to tell guys that uh, to, get a, to get a sense of humor, to get start laughing at yourself. And I... Well, that's one of the reasons he and I hit it off. We both popped off to each other a lot. The Dalai Lama thing just being one of the examples. And we, uh, <coughs> we wiseacred a lot. And uh, he's such a human being that uh, couldn't be... He, 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 it turned out that the Senate, he, I guess he only won by one or two votes. Secret ballot senators lie. Nobody ever knows because they burned the ballots. I guess he only won by one or two votes, but... But what a choice for a leader at the time he was. Uh, Do you think Senator Stevens would have been a very different kind of leader? Oh, my gosh, yes. Stevens had a huge temper. Dole had a temper, and Stevens was a screamer, and, and he still is. Stevens would have been a good different leader. Stevens was good. I told him that secret ballot senators lie, and he, next day he told me, and I said, see, you didn't believe me, did you? And he said, you're right. 
He thought he had it. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, somebody voted against. Somebody voted. Oh, Bird uh, thought he had Bennett Johnson's vote on something. Bennett Johnson went, told him he wasn't going to vote for him because Sam Nunn was running in the race. He said, that's my best friend. And Bird said, well, yeah, it's a commitment. Bennett Johnson never got another thing from Bird. That's serious stuff when you don't vote. I don't give a damn how you vote on a veto or on a welfare bill or a defense bill or all that stuff. That's all that happens every day. But when you vote against somebody that you told you're going to vote for in a leadership race and you don't, man, you've got it. You've got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Dole. Uh, I haven't seen him for a while. <clears throat> he, uh, I guess, uh, I hope his health is well. hope he lives for 100 years, and I hope they never release this thing. <laughs> well, thanks for this secret document. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. It was fun. Ah.